Welcome to Church Folks, the new podcast where we interview folks from our church community about who they are and what God is doing in their lives. I'm Zach Dunlap, pastor of multi-site at Birmingham and Berkeley First. Throughout the Bible, people are encouraged to bear witness to what they have seen and heard. Continuing in that tradition, this podcast offers a forum for people to get to know one another and be inspired. Our hope is that the stories of these church folks empower you to share your stories, to inspire others, and to be a part of beloved community together. I'm here today with Anika Kafi Summers, our seminary intern from Methesco. Anika, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Besides a great cup of coffee or tea is being able to see a great smiling face of my children. But lately, mostly it's been the dogs. Mom, get up. It's time. <laughs> Let us out. And um, other than that, it's just been able, being able to um, see an, another day. And as we have been living through, um, wow, a year, who would have thought a year of a lot of stress and anxiety, being able to wake up and see another day, that has been a gift when so many millions of others, it seems, have not had that gift. That's a powerful way to begin the day. To begin the day recognizing the grace of each new day and the opportunity that it is. Absolutely. What do you love? What do I love? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love my family. I love the grace of God. I love the craziness of my life, many days. And I love that I've been blessed to do the work that I do and it's craziness. Um, yeah. How have you experienced God at work in your life, Anika? I can't say that I haven't not experienced God in my life. God has been an presence in my life since day one. Whatever day you consider your first day, God has been there. For me, that's been a very long time. <laughs> and all I can say is that every time I think, oh, this has been tough, I know that I've had other times that have been tougher and I've still been able to get up the next day and continue on. And when I look out at some of my friends who are watching their 18-year-olds get ready to go off to college or wherever they're going, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be there in three more years with my son. And I think, you know, it's going to be okay when it's his turn or my stepdaughter when it's her turn because there's a community behind them. And part of that community is this community of faith who believes in God, who knows God, has them, and has always had them. So they've already done a great job, and we've already got their back. And even if they fall and trip and stumble and scrape their knees, we still have them. God is there, and God has always been there. 
that's so important to remember when we're facing rough days that like we have made it through all of our rough days thus far, right? God has, God has seen us through. You talk about being a part of a faith community. What brought you into the church in general and what brought you to Birmingham and Berkeley first for this particular time? Well, um, I have the privilege of being a child of ministry. My father was a United Methodist minister for 42 years in the West Ohio Conference. So I had the privilege of moving around with family from Columbus, Ohio, to Cincinnati, Ohio, to Perrysburg, Ohio, and back to Columbus, and then jumping off and going to college and living my own life. When I moved to Michigan, I thought I'm only going to be here for a hot skip and a jump and I'll be out because, frankly, why would I stay in Michigan? (laughs) But I'm being from Ohio, mind you. How long ago was that, Anika? Yeah, that was like 20 years ago. (laughs) And but, you know, I met a guy and got married. We had these two little kids. And so I'm here. And although our marriage didn't last We have come to a place where we're parenting very well. The kids are doing great. And now it's a good thing for them. And I don't mind being in Michigan at all. So, you know, we have the greatest lakes in the country. I'm still close enough to get home to my parents when I need to. And um, I can't really complain. I think it's so beautiful that you talked about, you know, co-parenting with your ex-husband, you know, uh, marriages don't always last, but it's so beautiful when for the sake of the kids, um, you can find ways to creatively and lovingly co-parent together. So my hat is off to you, sister. Good work. Thank you. What value do you find in being a part of Christian community? You know, uh, the value is that I have brothers and sisters in faith And for someone who's never had that type of relationship, they are missing out on a whole nother aspect of life. I don't know what those other people do with their time. I know they fill it with something, but I don't know exactly what that is. And I don't know how they feel at the end of their time on this world, if they wonder if they missed out on something. And I know that I have not missed out because I have friendships that I have built over decades. It's because we have a relationship that is with a higher being that we also have this commonality of faith. You talk about that relationship with a higher being. Anika, when have you felt closest to God? And conversely, when have you felt furthest from God? I think I felt closest to God when I was in significant distress. And I think I felt furthest away when I thought I could do it myself. And I think that's part of being human. I think when we decide that we've got this is when we don't have it at all. And I think when we have our back against the wall, and we know that there's no one else who can help us when we finally humble ourselves because there's no one who can reach us but God, but Christ, but the Holy Spirit. Then those entities will come to us in our darkest hour and will be there. They've always been there. 
We just had to listen. That is so profound and so true. Anika, what's the hardest thing you've ever been through? Oh, goodness. Um, You know, I've had several really hard things. My former husband and I had to make a decision of what to do about a pregnancy that was failed and what were we going to do? And that was really hard. That, I think, was the hardest decision. And that was gut-wrenching. But we had no options at that point that that particular child was going to survive. So we had to think of what that would mean for the child that we had, who was already aware of what was going on just enough. And that was really hard. That sounds unbelievably hard. And I want to thank you for your courage and vulnerability in sharing that with us today. What would you say to someone who's going through a similar gut-wrenching experience right now? There are never right answers. You will make the best decision based on the information you know at that time. You will find peace in time. You will pray and you will pray and you will pray. But once you've made that decision, it's made. And whatever decision you make, it is fine. There are many hard decisions in this life. And we can't ever go back. We can only go forward. And we know that we go forward in the love and grace of God. Mm-hmm. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Anika, you're a woman of many talents and many tasks. You're a seminary student, a full-time seminary student. You're a wife and a mother. You have an internship here with Birmingham and Berkeley First. And you also work full-time with Eastern Market. For those who aren't familiar with Detroit's 24-acre cultural and commercial neighborhood, tell us briefly about Eastern Market. So I work for the corporation, which we now call Eastern Market Partnership. And we like to say that we shepherd the Eastern Market District. We are open most days of the week. And throughout all of this year, we have been open We are really the city's grocery store. Where do you think bananas and a lot of the conventional foods are coming in? It's coming in the market district because we are a food hub. So because of that, we have been open and we have been feeding our region and dedicated to doing that. What I do most recently has been working with our nutrition education team to make sure That as we are trying to figure out how to make meals interesting, because we've cooked everything we know how to. We've done how many roasted chickens, how many pots of spaghetti, how many whatever it has been that has made you go numb. (laughs) And then we said, okay, we'll do DoorDash. And then we said, okay, now we'll do this. But when we get down to the nitty gritty, all of those other things are just too expensive. We have been able to educate people on how to eat more healthily, more wisely online through our cooking programs. 
So every Saturday for the last several months, we have been producing through Facebook Live free web cooking classes. So you can go back onto the Wayback Machine on Facebook to see what we've been preparing live and enjoying all of these recipes and learning how to make whatever we've been making. We've done popovers. We've done all kinds of great things. Um, today we did um, Johnny Marzetti, which is one of my favorite meals that my mom would make when I was growing up. Her father loved that dish. So my grandmother would make it and I've made it for my kids as well. Their dad would say, oh, this is goulash. And I was like, goulash, what kind of craziness is that? <laughs> and we decided that was a Michigan thing because in Ohio, it's Johnny Marzetti. <laughs> and people can access those on the Eastern Market Partnership uh, Facebook page? Yes, they can. That is so cool. Yeah. So we have several months worth of recipes that they can look up and find on our um, Facebook page, or you can go directly to the Eastern Market website. So that's easternmarket.org and you can find those recipes. Anika, I'm assuming a lot of our listeners have heard terms like food deserts and food justice. Um, how are those related? Um define those terms maybe for our listeners. So I'm going to take you back about, let's say, 10 years in the history of Detroit. Prior to the Myers on 8 Mile in the two different locations, um, prior to the Whole Foods that was built in the heart of the city of Detroit, when you go back 10 years, there were no viable grocery stores. Now there were Farmer Jacks. And if you can remember back to those Farmer Jacks and you remember going into those Farmer Jacks, you might have said never again. And I would walk into those Farmer Jacks and I thought, who eats this food? Why is there so much wax on the fruits and vegetables? Why is there only iceberg lettuce? Why do the bananas look like they're five weeks old? Why is this happening? Who is buying this food? That is the marker of food that has been overpriced, a poor quality, due to not being fresh, really fresh food that has been coated to look fresh, to remain fresh longer, but does not have the nutritional density that it needs to have. And then at every corner, you would have a gas station that would have 75 cents for one banana. Typically, bananas are 42 cents a pound, give or take. But if you're going in in low income neighborhoods and all you have around you are gas stations and no grocery stores, then you have a significant problem. And that's what you would call a food desert. So at the time all of this was happening, our CEO and president of Eastern Market, Dan Carmody, took his very ancient at the time. It was very ancient. Um, Subaru Forester filled it with vegetables and drove out into neighborhoods to sell whatever he had out of his Subaru Forester in neighborhoods. 
to get vegetables, fresh vegetables, into neighborhoods. The following year, he was funded by foundations to start a food access program. And we have farm stands, typically 22 farm stands throughout the city of Detroit. They are sponsored by corporations where we will have farm stand at a corporate site, which then affords us the opportunity to have these local farm stands at other farmers markets and other spots in the city. So you might find a farm stand at a hospital prior to COVID, and that hospital would offset the cost for possibly two farm stands out in a neighborhood. And that has been a winning proposition for the farm stands to get into the neighborhoods. And these farm stands then would enable communities and many people in Detroit who cannot drive because of the issues of insurance cost and the ability to afford a street-worthy vehicle on our Michigan roads, which we know the saying, fix those darn roads. You know, we'll get it done one of these days. One day it'll happen. <laughs> Maybe not in my lifetime, but someday. Um, and, you know, so if you can't drive to it, at least you could walk to a farm stand once a week to get some fresh vegetables so that your grandkids, your kids or yourself could eat something that's healthy instead of going to the corner store and buying the 75 cent banana and the hot fries you could get more real food into your diet. I hear from you about like kind of these points of intersectionality too, with that, that food justice is not just about food justice. It also intersects with, you know, access to transportation or lack thereof and other areas of injustice um, in our neighborhoods, in our state and around the world. Anika, how could an everyday person get involved with pursuing food justice, whether that's um, in Detroit through Eastern Market or even in their own neighborhood or community? I really love what is being done in neighborhoods across the region. I always think you can go into Detroit and do a lot of great work, which is being done. Berkeley and Birmingham First Church has, has done a tremendous job with the work that is being done in Brightmore, the work that's being done in Pontiac, at Micah 6, but also right at the church locations with the little pantries. In my neighborhood in Oak Park, there's a community location um, where a family put up a little pantry and they supply as much as they can and neighbors supply as much as they can to feed the neighborhood. So you don't have to go into Detroit to do that. You can do it right where you are. Um, you can come to the church and donate food items, canned goods, even pantry items that people may need because wipes and things of that nature are so hard to find. And if you don't have a Costco card, a BJ's card, a Sam's Club card or access to get there, when they have that stuff, you may not ever find it at a Target or someplace else. They come in and they're gone. So if that's something that you're able to do, absolutely. There, there are ways for you to help others make sure that they can stay safe and have those items available. Anything that you can do is helpful. 
The other thing is that when you're going into communities that you may not be aware of what the need is, it's really important to ask before you go. So if you are seeking out a new place to give, call ahead. The first place I would encourage you to call is the United Way. Think of larger organizations that can tell you we have a lot of different ways that you can help and this is who you can reach out to. That way they have a a finger on the pulse of who needs what, when and where. So you're not inundating one particular organization, but they know who for you to reach out to. So to build actual relationships uh, so that that real needs are being met with resources rather than just an inundation of uh, resources that maybe aren't needed or aren't as useful as something else might be in a particular neighborhood. Correct. Anika, my wife and I have four kids on pastor's salaries. What tips would you have for us or for other listeners on eating healthy on a budget? My quick takeaway is learn how to can, learn how to freeze. And when it's in season, that is your best opportunity to purchase in bulk and put it away. So all those things that your grandparents or your great-grandparents would tell you about, and you thought, I'd never do that, learn it because it's not complicated. It might cost you some money in that first time to get a canner, to get some jars, to get some lids, and to practice. But once you learn to can, you can put it up and you'll have foods that you can use a year from now. And it is a great investment in your family. So I encourage everyone to learn to can. You have four children, their hands are busy. I've seen them and they (laughs) are great at doing little things. So the smallest can help wash those canning jars. They can wash those lids. They can screw them on. The older ones can help, you know, mash. There's something for everyone to do. It's even buying a bushel or a half bushel or something. And maybe it's corn and you're just shucking corn and you're putting it in bags and freezing it. And as we all know, you like to hunt. So when you're getting your venison and you're putting that up, then why aren't you also getting your turkey? Why aren't you also getting your your rabbit or whatever else that you're going to have and putting that aside as well? And then making sure you have your pumpkins and processing those and freezing it, not canning it, but freezing it. So all of those things are done because we have lots of winter squash that can be processed. And all I'm saying, when I say processed, that's just cooking it down, cutting it in half, cooking it down, putting it in the freezer because once it's frozen, it's good for quite some time. That's really good advice. And Anika's right. I I am a hunter. Um, We make a point of saying here at Berkeley first that uh, whether you are a Republican or Democrat, black or white, Asian or Hispanic, 
rich or poor, LGBTQ plus or straight, a hunter or a vegan, you are more than welcome here. And we really mean that when we say it. Anika, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us today? I just want to remind everyone that when you're thinking about what can I do on a Saturday um, and as we get closer to warmer weather, a Sunday after church, come down to the Eastern Market. We are always there. And I am typically in the kitchen making something. As soon as we are able, we will be opening our kitchens back up for classes, which we have missed doing live with people from all over the metro area. We typically would have kids classes in the summer. We've missed them and we would do two a day. And the kids love to cook in a space that's not home without their parents. And we have had kids who are now ready for middle school and high school um, who have cooked in our kitchens. So we're looking forward to a, to returning to normal, whatever that means, um, once everyone has a shot in the arm so that we can get back to making good foods, healthy foods at the Eastern Market Community Kitchen. Amen. Thanks so much for your good work, Anika. It's an honor to talk with you today and a joy to be the church together. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. That concludes this episode of Church Folks. Remember, the church has nothing to do with brick, mortar, or carpet. It's the people, the body of Christ from all over the world. This is just one of their stories. You can find out more about Birmingham and Berkeley First on our websites, fumcbirmingham.org and berkeleyfirst.org. Whether it's through our church or some other church, we hope you take the time to be a part of beloved community, grow in your faith, and share your stories. Peace.